All right. I interrupt this podcast to bring you a personal message of importance. It goes like this. In 1988, I met this dude for the first time. He yelled at me in Concrete Jungle, the skate shop in San Francisco he was working at. Who's going to straighten out those shirts now? He growled as I skimmed through the shirt selection. Fast forward to 1999, this same guy approached me after our dear friend Phil Shaw had passed away and said, You're coming to work for the mag. Are you ready? Man, the stories in the miles are endless. Countless drunken nights flapping in the hotel room after some of the most amazing skateboarding had gone down are so priceless and the privilege, no matter how annoying or bent he was, was always mine. Jake Phelps won't only be missed, but he will never be replaced in our skateboarding culture that has benefited from his passion in ways that words cannot explain. I'm super lost at the moment and scared of the future. I'm scared of the goons that will take advantage of his absence and scared of the softer side of skateboarding overshadowing what drew me to this lifestyle in the first place. But it's up to us who were influenced by Jake to carry the torch, to keep it lit, keep it raw, and to continue to call people out when they blow it. They say these things happen in threes. 2017, Preston. 2018, Hubbard. And March 14th in the year of our Lord, 2019, we lost the editor of Thrasher Magazine, the hype man, the mentor, the beautiful mind, and my bro, Mr. Jake Phelps. He said it when Phil died, so I think it's appropriate to quote ACDC again here and now. My friends are gonna be there too. Ride on, Felper. Ride on. It's Skate and Destroy Porvita, baby. And as a tribute to the old man, this goes out to all you that have bad-mouthed and wished Jake be terminated from the mag for years, but now are eulogizing him in some heartfelt way to make yourself matter. This one's called Your Feelings. It's kind of sarcastic, right? But it's your fucking feelings. I fucking care. Haha, ha, it's kind of funny, right? Because I spend a lot of my time waiting in line. People telling me about their life, where they've been and what they do. Their fucking plans for tomorrow. Long weekend coming up, dude. Probably gonna have a barbecue, right? Where I'm, I'm gonna cook my chicken, alright? I go places you wouldn't go. I know fucking people you shouldn't fucking go. But then again, it's always about you, right? Your fucking feelings. Your fucking feelings. Your fucking feelings. I fucking You people on the fucking street, you walk 
walk your little fucking dog with your leash, your ball, your stick, your fucking dead weird shit, your hairdos, your fucking spray paint cans, where you tag, your cars. I got a hybrid motorcycle. That way, you can't hear my engine when I'm riding up your fucking Ho Chi Minh Trail. Aha! I got one thing on my mind and I know it's true. I care about Trixie and T-Bird too and Reggie for what we're doing to you because you, you're just in the fucking way, my friend. You're in the way and it's all again because you know what? Your feelings, your fucking feelings, your fucking feelings, your fucking feelings, I fucking And now on with the show. Are we on? Schmitty? Yeah, just turn Schmitty. Hello. <laughs> yes? Smiths? Yes. Schmitty. Okay, Schmitty. fucking Craig Smith. Check. Fucking. Just give it the old cars turn. Right oh, big dog's in. Schmitty. What do you think, Schmitty? He could just pull shit off. Talk to Schmitty. He's so fucking busy. In my pants, lad. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. Are you ready? Come on, Smith. The first time that I met my next guest, I was mesmerized. Bottom of the hill, about 2005. Up on stage, I've seen him play plenty of times. I used his band for Thrasher videos, and that's no lie. Check it out. We got Eric Shea here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think the very first time Hot Lunch was on a skate video, it was a Thrasher video that you and P-Stone, uh, was it Under the Bridge? Probably. It was Under the Bridge. Okay. And I remember 
the next day I was at Petrero getting my little backside carve grinds in the in the pool. And there's Preston uh, flipping hamburgers, treating everybody to hamburgers, making us wait because he, you know, had a very special technique. Like, no, no, not ready yet. It's got to got to get a little little more time on the grill. Oh yeah. And he was like, "Hey, nice song." And I was like, "Thanks, man. I wish we'd uh given you a better version of it cuz we've since redone the vocals." And he's like, "Sometimes the first takes the best." Yeah. <laughs> what was that Handy Denny or no? No, I think it was uh She Wants More. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay, sick. From our first 7-inch. Rad. <laughs> That's so cool. Um I want to go back a little bit. True or false, you were born and raised in San Jose. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, pretty much. I was born in Mountain View, uh-huh. but raised in the South Bay, Campbell, San Jose, Los Gatos, Saratoga, kind of all over. Where'd you go to like uh, grammar and high school? I was a Catholic school kid until seventh grade. Oh. Then my parents moved us to North Tahoe, to Tahoe City. Oh, so I did junior high. In Tahoe City, where I, I discovered Mile High Ramp, nestled in the woods. What? Yeah, I was pedaling my mongoose dirt bike to 7-Eleven to buy some beef jerky. No way. And I, there's this giant wooden behemoth in the middle of the fucking woods. And these guys, you know, just ruling it. And I, like, totally skidded my mongoose to a stop and just looked at this giant wooden U in the middle of, you know, <laughs> these yeah. trees. Fuck. And just mouth open. I just kind of looked at my bike and I felt stupid. So I put my bike down and walked over and just sat on one of the benches there and watched people skate uh-huh. until the sun went down. And then I pedaled back to our house and I didn't even get any beef jerky. So that was like you were 12 or 13 or? 12 and 13, yeah. And then did you live there for a few years? Yeah, like almost two years. Like uh, That wasn't the time of the contest, was it? Yes, it was. You were uh, at the contest? Yes, the Mile High but yeah, no, was terror it? at Tahoe. Terror at Tahoe. Right. The Lance, Lance Mountain. burned his uh, board on fire. Yeah, and somebody threw a cat into the audience. Oh. Or it, was a, it was a sticker throw, and then there was a cat Lucky. throw. Lucky. God, <laughs> yeah. that's sick to be there. Just total. That's super iconic fucking contest. Life-changing experience. But then we moved back to the South Bay. I went back to eighth grade and finished up uh, Catholic school. Then my parents wanted me to go to a Catholic high school that I didn't want to go to because it was all dudes. Bellerman? Yes, Bellerman. <laughs> so I failed the entrance exam on, perfe- on, on purpose. You know, you had to take the entrance exam? Yeah. I misplaced a bunch of Scantron dots so that I'd fail. And I, I still got a few right, I guess. But huh. I, I got to go to a, a public school. But then they were like, well, you, if you're not going to go to Bellerman, you have to go to Saratoga because it's an affluent school. Mm. But those kids just could afford to get into trouble. Yeah. I lived in Saratoga the first four years of my life. No way. Yeah. (laughs) From when you were one to four? Yeah. Or maybe one to five. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Or like zero to five. (laughs) (laughs) Out of the, I was born in Redwood City and then they just took me straight to Saratoga. And then I think around five, we moved to San Carlos. It's a weird little town, but you know, we had some good skaters there. It's so nice now. It is. I mean, mountain winery. I saw the birds do the reunion sweetheart yeah. of the rodeo there. It's rich people being yeah, yeah. rich. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, you know, we had some good skaters. We had Doug Smith. Right. Uh, Brad Boardman. Kevin Cahon. Uh, some guys I'm forgetting. Yeah, that spine ramp, right? That Doug Smith skated a lot. Congress Springs, yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. I remember, uh, 
I want to say a pal video or something. He had like a little section there. That's right. Yeah. That ramp didn't last long, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so when did you get into skateboarding? Um, what was your first board in the Tahoe or was it before that or after that? Or It was before that. It was one of those, I was just one of those kids who, who lived in California and we moved to a house in Campbell and there was a Hobie spoon in the garage that somebody left there. No. Clay wheels, you know? Yeah. And so being a little kid, um, my next door neighbor, Donnie Fersman and his brother, Doug, they had skateboards, but Donnie and I used to just push around on our knees, you know, like we didn't stand up on them or anything. And, and then his brother, Doug was like only babies push on their knees. And he had like a banana board with urethane wheels that he stood on and went down the driveway. And I was like, well, clearly I'm no baby, you know, I'm five or six, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stand too. And, you know, clay wheels, you hit a little pebble or a crack or an ant and you just stop and fly off. Right. So then my mom took me to the toy section of Mervyn's where they had yellow banana boards and I got one of those. It was, you know, better. You could roll over cracks and, and pebbles. And I think it got stolen. I think I left it in my front yard. What age was this about? This is about seven or eight. Oh. And then Winchester Skate Park wouldn't let you in if you had an aluminum board or a fiberglass board. So she took me to Gremick Skates in Los Gatos to get a real skateboard. Ooh. And I think I got a Gremick Pegasus. with like a shop board? Dinger tail. Yeah. I think it was supposed to look like a Chris Stropel board. Or like, a, you know, like a caster board from the 70s. That was in Los Altos or San Jose? Los Gatos. Los Gatos. Okay. Yeah. And um, it came with these like fake Sims wheels that I think were called Centaur wheels. So I had a Gremic Pegasus Fuck. with Centaur wheels and I could go skate Winchester. Because my dad and I, you know, he worked really close to Winchester Skate Park. And part of our quality time was he would take me there and we'd sit on the big wooden deck and watch people skate the washboard and the keyhole and that, that is amazing. crazy weird half pipe. I thought you were going to say part of your quality time was him dropping you off at the skate park. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was, uh, he was into hanging out and you know, he wasn't into skateboarding, but he, yeah. he knew that I was. So, so that's where the Milpitas Vans park was replicated that washboard style. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. I but, never got to go to Winchester. Um, I never really got to skate it. Oh, I mean, I tried. But I was just this little uncoordinated kid. I uh, I remember, I think it might have been the washboard, like rolling into one bump and making it over that and then flying over the second Woo-hoo! one and like landing on my hip. Yeah. And at this point, my dad had just dropped me off and he said, I'll come and pick you up in an hour. Uh-huh. And so I tried it again and I fell again. And I was like, I'm just going to go play Space Invaders. So I went inside the arcade and just started playing Space Invaders and Asteroids and Missile Command. Yeah. And then my dad shows up and he's like, what the hell are you doing? I paid you for a session or whatever. I was like, sorry. I want to see you rip. Yeah. So I didn't learn how to skate transition at Winchester. I think it was I think it was Mile High Ramp that, that really taught me how to pump a transition. Oh, you, know? you rode that ramp. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, when we moved there, the only place you could buy a skateboard in Tahoe, unless you went to Reno, was this weird little like plant store called the watermelon patch and it was in grand labakan and you could buy like your 10 inch wide veriflex 
boards. Mm -hmm. My friend Grant Sargent gave me his old Maharaja 70s skateboard. It was like a water ski turned into a skateboard, uh, which was really nice of him. But I wanted a 10-inch wide board like, like you know, everybody else had. Mm -hmm. So I think we went there, and I think my first... 10 inch wide or close to it was a yellow Santa Cruz street skate. Mm. One of those ones that said, now with concave. Oh. <laughs> with like ACS trucks and like yeah. Bones wheels. Okay. So that was about 83, 84? Yeah. 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 Nice. And then, uh, true or false, in 1985, you were published in Thrasher Magazine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, God, that letter I wrote to MailDrop. I didn't think they were going to print it. <laughs> <laughs> that was when we, we, we moved back to the South Bay, and some friends had introduced me to Montague Banks. Ooh. Yeah. And, man, um, it was on. You know, that, that shit was so fun. Yeah, we and every, went there a bunch. We would take the bus all the way from the peninsula like four bus transfers to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was mostly friends, older brothers with cars. Uh -huh. I think we tried to take the bus there a couple times and didn't quite figure it out. It was. I don't know how we did. Yeah. <laughs> there was no iPhone or anything like that. It was Other like, spots you could. You could take the bus to Fishbanks yeah. and then like kind of traverse over to Memorex Banks. Yeah, they were near. Yeah. And the um, what's the one? The Dell's wave, Wall. Dell's or Wall. Yeah. yeah. That was fun. I love because you could skate Dell's Wall in the rain. Yeah. But – um. But Montague was Montague the one. Banks, yeah. So, so it was usually pretty mellow. Everybody was pretty cool. And then one time we just start getting vibed by this guy who like shows up and starts skating all around us real fast and calling us like grommets. Well, we were grommets. We were just, you know, kooks. We were little kids. Yeah. And um, I got pissed off and went home and wrote a letter. And I was like, this guy came here and started, you know – vibing us and making fun of us and we're just trying to have fun man yeah and um i thought it was Corey o'brien but it wasn't it was some other guy that looked like Corey o'brien uh, back then i think his name was mark farrington or oh you actually identified him later somebody else did somebody uh -huh. else was like that wasn't Corey o'brien you uh, idiot <laughs> did you put it in the letter it was Corey? no in oh. fact the letter was titled who made the cut Oh. Because I was complaining that somebody was cutting us down. Yeah. But I didn't name names. Okay. You know. So cool. <laughs> and here I am, <laughs> like 30-something years later, naming names. <laughs> How early did you get into music, like playing with a band? What was your first band experience? I don't know if this counts, but it might have been in third grade. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like a full, like, three-piece or four-piece? Just a two-piece. Oh. It was my friend Ben Harris on piano. And me on electric guitar. I'd gotten my first electric guitar for Christmas. Oh, okay. I'd been taking... In third grade. Yeah, because I started taking lessons in second grade from this cool nun named Sister June. <laughs> <laughs> she had like a beehive haircut. Dude, you and... got the best stories. <laughs> <laughs> she was awesome, Sister June. I actually got in touch with her recently. She's still alive. Cool. She's like in her 80s living at some convent. No. And I was like, I don't know if you remember me, but you taught me how to play guitar and it changed my life and it's taken me to Europe and... And she's like, of course I remember you. I'm so glad to hear that you stuck with it and that wow. it's become part of your life. And uh, I, I was like almost crying when I saw that she replied to my email. I hate it. to say this, though. I've actually turned satanic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm satanic. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but no, she, so 
got my first guitar in second grade, my first electric guitar in third grade. My friend Ben and I thought it'd be a fun idea to put on our first communion suits mm. and little hats and glasses and call ourselves the Blues Buddies. And um, wow, we put a set together. I think I just like riffed on like Smoke on the Water and we like wrote a song together and we played it. No way. Yeah, and it was at the school talent show. That's awesome. <laughs> and we had his little brother, CT, come out with a sandwich board ringing a bell going, introducing the Blues Buddies. Wow. It was pretty funny. Huh. But what was like the first like legit band you were in that like maybe either recorded something or played live or both or? That was with um, Mike Prasenko back in 91. We started a band called Ozeon. Ozeon. Yeah, we were really into like Slow Dive and My Bloody Valentine and Ride, you know, Tony Farmer kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we... Spaceman 3? Oh, yeah. Spaceman 3, Spiritualized. Yeah. I, that was our shit, too, back was, then. Because, so, I mean, grunge was everywhere. I was kind of tired of it. Mm. I just wanted to, like, make my guitar make beautiful noises and mm -hmm. find a, a female singer who could just coo those heavenly, you know, vocals. Sure. And it was hard to meet somebody in San Jose that was into that back then. You know, everybody was really into grunge and yeah. punk, and it was kind of a specific thing. And I went to go see, I think, Lush and Ride play a show. And this guy, Mark, gave me a flyer that said, uh, looking for a guitarist into all these bands, Cocktail Twins, Chapter House, um, call Mark or Mike. So I called Mark, and his girlfriend was like, Mark's working, try calling Mike. So I called Mike, and he's like, yeah, what kind of guitar do you play? I was like, a Rickenbacker. And he's like, I play Fender Jaguar, come over. I'm like, oh, right on. So I go over to his house and I'm like, why does this guy look familiar? He looks so familiar. Yeah. Because I used to see him at Hoagie Park, you know, like everybody bring their jump ramps to Hoagie Park. And, oh. and he was a guy that wouldn't like make a method error and be like, fuck, and throw his board at the ground or like kick the ramp. Patented San Jose style. Yeah. Typical Persenko. Yeah. And so we're talking about music. We're talking about effect pedals. He's got his phone list on the wall. And I'm like, huh. Joe Conti, Mike Yosefer, Steve Caballero, Salba. Oh, shit. This is Mike Prosenko. Oh. You know, like Pro Street, Provert, Prosenko. Yeah. And uh, I really liked his skateboarding, you know. I thought he was kind of like San Jose's version of Chris Miller. But he mm -hmm. added his own kind of like aggression to his yeah. skating. He definitely wanted – I think he tried to be Chris – like the style was definitely like – replicated yeah. he was very influenced by chris miller yeah and so after like we jammed i was like i think i remember you from hoagie park and he's like yeah i remember you you were that little grom guy who always used to do stink bug airs uh -huh. <laughs> and i was like all right well let's make some fucking music so we got this band together we recorded um a three song demo uh we gave a copy to slow dive um i think rachel said that she was going to try to give a copy to alan mcgee from creation records and then the band just kind of fell apart uh, before anything could really happen. But I found those tapes recently, and um, long story short, like somebody put them up on YouTube and they went viral. So I had these indie labels kind of knocking, saying, "Would you be into putting this stuff from 1992, 93 out? It's only three songs, hmm. and it's not the best quality." But I said, "If you're into it, why not?" You know, people really seem to like it by reading the comments on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So we put it out. And 
it sold out. <laughs> Recently? Like a couple years ago. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Time. So Persenko got a few uh, extra pieces of cheese on his burger that month? <laughs> <laughs> it was such a limited run, but it was good getting back in touch with Persenko. He, you know, st- he still lives in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Because I seen him in SF a while ago. Like, yeah. he was living in San Francisco for a minute, right? We were roommates for a very long time. Oh, in SF? Yeah, we stayed friends for for a long time. Oh, okay. Yeah. He um he still plays guitar. He still does graphic design. I don't think he still skates. Mm-hmm. Before he moved to LA, though, and right after the Berkeley Park opened, I was able to get him out there and take a few runs with him. Nice. And uh, he just had that crazy fast style still. Really, yeah. Even well into his 30s. Uh-huh. Rad. So you've been in a lot of bands throughout the years, right? Like probably more than two handfuls. I don't know. I'm kind of a serial monogamist when it comes to bands. Yeah. I try to keep keep one together for as long as I can oh. and see how long it could go for. It doesn't always happen. Yeah. You know. Okay. Um, when did Sweet Chariot, um, st- did that start be- before Hot Lunch or after? Just shortly right after. Right after? Yeah. Okay. That was, I think, um, at the time, Rob from Hot Lunch, our drummer, uh, you know, he was talking about my my band before Hot Lunch and my band before Parchment Farm was a band called Mover that was very kind of Neil Young, CCR, The Birds, uh-huh. Graham Parsons, kind of California country rock. Yeah. And how fun it would be to do that stuff with me. Um, and uh, Sweet Chariot just sort of evolved. I always wanted to play with that guitar player, Chris Guthridge. He used to be in a band called Ride the Blinds. Uh, they kind of reminded me of Cream and like Peter Green era Fleetwood Mac. And um, it was just kind of an excuse to play with all these people that I wanted to play with and to keep the, the country rock thing kind of going. Yeah. But then it's since become like so not country rock. Like this new album that's coming out, it's really kind of like British pub rock and power pop. And huh. there's hardly any twang on it except for some of Chris's leads. Oh. Just kind of evolved. Yeah, that yeah. usually happens, right? It's like, why play the same album again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like, just try something different. And um, how quickly after you got that band together did you guys start that annual trib- tribute, the uh, Sleepless Nights? That was actually going on. Or was that already started? Yeah, I started that in either 99 or 2000. Oh, before? Yeah, before okay. any of all, like these bands that I'm in now. And what what is that about? Who, that's a tribute to? To Graham Parsons from the Flying Burrito Brothers and the Birds and his, his own solo stuff. He was also in a band called the International Submarine Band. Mm-hmm. But there was a thing out in Joshua Tree called Graham Fest. And every year, this guy, Mad John McKinney, would book all these bands to come and play Graham Parsons songs out where his body was stolen and burned out in Joshua Tree. And um, I was trying to get a hold of him, I think back in the late 90s, to see how we could possibly... Because we played a bunch of those songs, my old band Mover. In the dark days of communication, it was just hard to get a hold of the guy. So my friend Ideen said, you should just throw your own in San Francisco. Yeah. And I pitched Slims about it. And they were like, sounds good. You want to do it on a Saturday? And I said, oh, shit. Okay, let's do it. Wow. And uh, we got like Beachwood Sparks and Miranda Lee Richards and all these bands to come and play it. And it's been going on ever since. I don't think it's going to happen anymore. I just read that Golden Voice axed all of the old school staff of great american music hall and slims so, oh yeah dark days what's the guy's name that owns that boz Skaggs. yeah we call boz Skaggs. say boz yeah. come on man <laughs> keep it real boz yeah, what the hell <laughs> you guys have a really cool cover of uh skate and destroy oh yeah i think we're gonna listen to that right now okay <laughs> 
how did that come about? How did you guys rework that song? And I have no idea. I just came up with the chords and the harmonica part, and I was looking for lyrics. And um, I think I was talking about the faction with our bass player, Doran Shelley, who used to be in The Cramps, believe it or not. And he's like, I remember The Faction. Who's that pro skater guy that was in it? And I think I was like, oh, that's Steve Caballero. And he's like, what was their hit song if they had, you know, the closest thing to a hit? I'm like, well, Skate and Destroy. Yeah. And then the lyrics came back in my head. You know, it's not a cause or political belief. It's something in my thinking. And the phrasing just fit the chords perfectly that I was strumming. And I was like, holy shit, do I do this? <laughs> Is Ray Stevens going to kill me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe he'll be flattered. Um, so we just did it and it worked. Did you hear from those guys? I think I played it for Ray and I think I shared it with Steve. And they were kind of like, oh, oh, right on. You know, I was like, they, I was, I was a little scared that somebody else would. So I just wanted to be like, oh, here, we did this in loving tribute. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that it was cool. Yeah. I've known Ray forever, so. Yeah, Ray seems so mellow. Like, he's the raddest. He, yeah. I think he's the one that, that gave me my nickname, Shea Bones. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was me and McGinley in Canada. I forget. I'm pretty sure it was McGinley. I don't know, but we were at this hotel. It was a Vancouver contest, and everyone was skating at the park, and we were like just coming in to check into the hotel, and Ray comes running out. He's like... I'm going to zen over to the park. See you bros later. <laughs> and like for the rest of like the, that year, I think me and McGilly would just call. I don't know if we were texting back then, but definitely like we're going to zen over was like our <laughs> catchphrase for a while. Thanks to Ray. Oh, I love Ray. I love how he invents his own words and his own slang. Yeah. Like, See you later, Buzz. Yeah. I don't Bye, know where Buzz. it is, but I'm going to zen over. <laughs> so hot lunch that started in like. 06. 06. How did you guys get together? Was it from the parchment? It was right after Parchment Farm dissolved. And whenever a band breaks up, I always try to just start something lickety split. Like I'm going to keep keep the momentum going, you know, mm -hmm. keep the inertia. And I'd always wanted to play with Aaron Noodleman. Uh, he used to be in a band called the Men's Club. Right. And we were label mates back when he was on Frank Kosick's label, Man's Rune Records. And Frank had put out my old band Movers first record and I saw men's club play in a backyard in San Francisco at a party in 1994 95 and they were like the reincarnation of Grand Funk Railroad I was just blown away and I was like oh my god that guitar player I've got to play with him sometime so I introduced myself and he was a little standoffish at first but you know we drank some beers and talked some more about music and we just became friends he was you know getting into surfing and skateboarding and I, I remember saying oh let's go to Fort Miley sometime and you know skate around you know the sunset and hit those slappy curbs you know and you get all the way to the top and then go down to the beach as you're skating yeah. down towards the beach you can hit driveways and for sure I love all that and and so we had a really good day of skating and at the end I remember saying would you be in a, maybe putting a band together you know Parchment Farms Dunzo I want to do something new um, and he's like yeah man that would be great who, who, who else are you thinking are you know getting to play in the band and I was thinking well Josh Smith from the fucking champs he'd be great you know on guitar or this guy Rob Alper from the SLA you know he plays guitar too and he's like oh I know Rob I play in another band with Rob I was like oh yeah well then you guys are already pretty tight 
my buddy Charlie plays bass. I don't know how good, but he's just a great guy. And at this point, I just wanted to play with guys that were really fun to be around, guys yeah. that you can spend a lot of time with. And if they were good, that was, you know, icing on the cake. But I just wanted, like, you know, a group of friends. I ran into Rob at the Casanova, and he said, who do you have playing drums? And I said, well, nobody yet. And he said, I play drums. <laughs> I was like, oh, you do? He said, oh, yeah, I'd love to play drums for something like this. Said, All right. I had no idea how well he played or that he played with a crazy kit. With he two was kicks. playing bass, though? Uh, he was playing uh, guitar in another band. Oh. And then I, I saw Charlie skating over at Glen Park Station. And I said, you want to play bass in this thing I'm doing with these two guys? He's like, sure. Why not? So it was born. It just came together like pretty effortlessly. Is this the first band that Rob played drums in? No, I think he played in a few uh, different bands. But he he's such a talented guy. He plays... Oh, man. If you have not seen Hot Ledge live, <laughs> you have to go and just keep your eyes on the drummer. He is a fucking spectacle. He's one of my favorite, like, maybe of all drummers, but definitely San Francisco Bay Area, like, of my bro's friends' bands. I, like... You know, not to fan out too hard, but we love you, Rob. <laughs> Seriously, man. Yeah. He, he hits him hard and he plays with fucking enthusiasm and looks yeah. like he's having a blast. I call it lead drums. Yeah. He plays lead drums. It's so sick. Yeah. Easily my favorite drummer. And then, so how did you guys come up with the name? Oh, uh, we had a show booked and we didn't have a name. Like, what are we going to call ourselves? I was eating at Tommy's Joint and there was a sign that said, Hot Lunch. And the letters just popped off the sign. Looked really kind of just like striking. And I was thinking about his drum kit. You know, he's got two kick drums. Mm -hmm. And I thought we could put hot on one and lunch on the other. It would look kind of rad. Somehow the guys were into it. <laughs> it's still one of those things that if I could go back and give us a different name, I probably would. But it stuck. Quick and easy. Yeah. <laughs> you either have like the five second discussion or the five year discussion. <laughs> exactly. Like you overanalyze it or you underanalyze it, right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I know. We were dirty in the donuts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great name. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but that's what we were. <laughs> well, you've been playing drums for a long time too. I don't play anymore, but that was fun. But yeah. The first, you mentioned the first song in a thrasher video was the under the bridge video um since then i want to say there might not be a hot lunch song that hasn't been in a thrasher video thanks to you Schmitty. <laughs> <laughs> i think we do a pretty well job at uh staying in touch with you and the minute you release new stuff we're like all right cool because we got four new projects and man that's all that matters to me really is to give back to skateboarding in some way shape or form if i can create something that's worthy of soundtracking somebody getting rad when we got written up in, in thrasher and interviewed by steve from mudhoney yeah i was almost like okay i could just quit right now like i've never wanted i don't care about rolling stone i yeah. don't care about spin i kind of care about mojo magazine that's a good magazine yeah but fuck thrasher's been with me longer than anything or right. anyone you know and it's like to me, that was just it. It was that like, was amazing. I didn't know that you and Steve were friends, and so when I was doing that interview, I was like, "Do you think he would ask you the questions?" And we could ask, and then it was so because I'm a huge Mud Honey fan. Oh so, yeah, me too. Yeah, so that was awesome. Steve's great. He, um, 
I met him back when I used to do this thing called the Monday Night Hoot, which was kind of like a folk night. And I took it to Seattle. And um, I think my friend Jesse Sykes or Barbara Mitchell, I can't remember, one of those awesome women were like, you should get Steve from Mudhoney to play because he does this skate folk thing. And uh, we just hit it off talking about skateboarding and pools and music. And he told me all about the Butter Bowl and the whole Northwest scene. Well, Steve, if you and Mark want to come on Talking Schmidt, I know you guys probably got tons of no time, but I'm always here for you guys. That would be epic. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to ask you, what is Monks on the Moon really about? (laughs) Because, God damn it, I've listened to that song a lot, and I just need to hear this from you. You wrote it, right? The song lyrics? The lyrics, yeah. yeah. I mean, the band, you know, we all write everything. The band usually writes the song, and then I usually write the melody and the lyrics. Uh-huh. I got the idea of a secret sect of surfing monks that had to relocate to the moon where they learned how to brew their own lager called Lunar Lager. Uh-huh. And they kind of, this lager brewed in anti-gravity, made them wise enough to warn us about, you know, the Earth's impending doom. And uh, it was just kind of a fun song. I think I was kind of inspired by all those weird cartoons at the end of like Skateboard Madness. Yeah. You know, and like just something that makes no sense. But once you put it out there, it's going to make sense somehow. I will say this about that song. You know, I've, I've tried to write skate rock songs, like deliberate skate rock songs. Uh huh. Hot Lunch has a song called China Banks that thanks China Banks for all the years it's been, Whoa. you know, going. Okay. Whether it's a bust or not, it's always been there. You know, when I thought that the EMB was too dividing, you can just go to China Banks, try to carve those benches, teaching me commitment. Is know. that recorded? Yeah, it's on a, a Scion uh, EP. Oh, I need to get that one because I'm doing a China Banks documentary right now. Are you serious? Yeah, it's, dude. Wow. You're okay. going to lose your shit. Yeah, I love I just it. interviewed Arco about him discovering it. No I way. just went and interviewed Joe Valdez last week about all in behind the ball. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm, uh, Cardiel's down. Oh, like, my God. Yeah, it's, I'm really, Dude. this is like one of my big projects for this year that I'm excited about. Jesus, sure. it would be an honor to be in such a good company. Mm. And, you know, to provide a song about the legendary yeah, spot, you know. Sick, so I noticed when I try to write a deliberate song, like there, there's a song called China Banks. There's a song called Slappy Sunday. And they're good songs, but they don't resonate with skateboarders the way that Monks on the Moon Mm. has resonated. And I I think it's because I tried too hard, you know? Maybe. Like something about Monks just came out so effortlessly and it was fun. Yeah. And I just wanted to capture like the driving adrenaline rush of fun, good times, beers, bros. Yeah. You know, everything that I was into and still am, just came out in Monks on the Moon. And I think because it's so untried and nonspecific that it kind of worked a little bit better to Uh soundtrack footage. I love that beginning. (laughs) It's hard to pull that off live. I sang all those vocals in the the studio. So cool. (laughs) Yeah, I love that one. We've used just those snippets for like uh, interview videos where it's like over and over on loop. Have you had a chance to listen to any of these Talking Schmidt episodes? Yeah, all of them. Oh yeah? yeah. What, do you, what do you think? I love them, man. Especially uh, the Farmer one. Um, God, he's such a charismatic devil, that mm, Tony Farmer. Yeah. and um, Good storyteller. Really good storyteller. I wish I 
was just as half as interesting or funny as, as he he is and it, he kind of keeps you on your toes and he's lightning fast it's like the, the anglophile comes out in his conversation because when you're that deep into british music and culture you are always prepared for a battle of wits you know and he's always ready to fight um with his intellect true and i, I love the quarry one too because blue plate is one of like my favorite restaurants just ever uh-huh. and quarry is one of my favorite dudes whenever we Corey, see each other right. we just talk about old south bay skate spots like because he's from san jose yeah he's total south bay guy yeah. he's like, you remember jew banks i'm like oh jesus <laughs> There was a synagogue <laughs> that all the local jerks called Jew Banks because there was this great L-shaped bank at the back of it that people put parking blocks up on. And I think that's where I learned how to do, you know, frontside slappies uh-huh. back on a mini Caballero with like tractor trucks and freestyle wheels because <sighs> rap ones weren't even out yet. Right. <laughs> and uh, Corey remembers all those spots, you know, he, he was there. Yeah. Cool. I'm not afraid. What's some constructive criticism? Hmm. Constructive criticism for talking Schmidt. I would say put some put some women in there. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, Noel. Noel. Oh my god. On. Yeah, I mean, there's another amazing musician. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, um, I actually tried to get her to call in for today, but she was a little last minute. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Noel would be great. Tracy and Halsey would be great. Katie Knox. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can get Elisa, right? That would be amazing. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a little break and hear from some of our friends, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, uh, what's the worst you've been criticized? What's the worst you've been heckled or like <laughs> throughout all your life? Like what's one moment that stands out where you got heckled pretty hard or? It's hard to remember a time where I took anything like that very personally, but it was, it could have been back in the early nineties when I was in that band with Prasenko and somebody said you guys aren't even a real band you're just living in four track city because we oh. never played live oh and i was like "Fuck you well speaking of heckling we're gonna listen to a song that i really been enjoying lately called uh, the ballad of heckle hill Tags of death and pain 
about is this all timo or is this a collective effort of dudes on the the hill at petrero oh yeah just all the ghosts of of heckle hill show up in this song you know 
Timmy Jack. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that weird old guy Mike that used to bring his dog. Um, oh right. Oh god, who else? Uh, yeah, Timo. Is that guy's name that Collinson used to beat up? <laughs> I forget his name. <laughs> New City. Yeah. God. Um, just all the lurkers. Uh huh. All the hecklers. Um, I just spent so much time at Petrero when it when it first came to us. You know, you just get to know these characters and somehow they end up in your songs, whether you like it or not. That's really cool. And um, oh god, who was who was the one? This older, kind of younger guy, he he ran with that kind of seventies uh, SF crew like Joe Fong. Uh, oh, Ipe, I think Ipe, his name is. yeah, yeah. He showed up at Thrasher with a baseball bat one morning. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that is a true story. So yeah, like all those dudes, you know, like all the characters of Petrero and and the hill that they heckle on. Um, what's the proudest music moment you've had? Wow, other than. Being interviewed by Steve Turner and Thrasher, I was thinking more along the lines of the Z Boys, but that that definitely. I mean, to have guys who you pinned pictures up on your wall and taped pictures in your locker, and you'd open skateboarder magazines and see like Shogo Kubo, yeah, Tony Alva, Jay Adams, Marty Grimes, yeah. You know, I when when I heard that Z Flex was interested in putting us in a documentary about their their team, I was just floored. When I heard they just wanted us and no other band, I was confused. <laughs> but I didn't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh-huh. I, I mean, part of me wanted to be like, well, you should get the shrine in there. I mean, they're from Venice fucking Beach, yeah. you know? And I think I did. I was like, is anybody else going to be in this, like the shrine or zigzags? And they're like, no, they kind of want to keep, uh, keep it, you know, consistent. Is that cool? And I was like, oh, God, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Insane. They sent us like a box of like. So what, like one of the guys heard you guys and was like, oh, this will be perfect for the movie? Or was it more than that? I think it was Tim from Australia um, who's tight with that crew. And he's an old schooler guy. Um, he's got an amazing guitar shop. He's put out like an Earthless pedal before for Isaiah. Oh. And um, every time I think Earthless goes to australia they play at tim's shop sick yeah he's just a, an amazing wonderful human being so he's at home watching under the bridge and all of a sudden hot lunch comes <laughs> up on the screen and he's like wait a minute maybe something like that happened <laughs> I, I can't remember who turned him into our music it I'm might have been kidding. isaiah and mario and mike uh-huh but i mean i remember just learning that he was putting us in touch with the z flex guys and they were into it and i was just i couldn't believe it so I still can't sick. believe it. So, you, but you didn't write any music for that. It was already written, and they took your already written songs. Is yeah, that right. Yeah, it was just ready made. Okay, and it fit perfect. God, <laughs> that is an amazing. And then you got to be an extra in the movie as well, right? <laughs> yeah, in the Lords of uh, Lords of Dogtown. That was because a friend of mine who worked in central casting, you know, back in uh, the early two thousands. I was really into just. I found out that there was this thing called eBay and you could find old skateboards on it. Oh. And so I would like get like old Logan Earthskis and put them together oh. and learn how to like ride like my heroes. I wanted to learn how to ride like my heroes, you know. And so she she said, hey, you, you, you skate like old 70s boards and pools. You should come to this casting call. Mm. And uh, I was like, all right, it's in Los Angeles. And I went and 
I skated for them and they said, all right, we want you to skate in the movie. Uh, where's your Screen Actors Guild credentials? And I was like, my what now? And they're like, oh, don't worry. It'll just cost you two grand to join. And I was oh. like, I don't have two grand. Yeah. And they're like, well, we got the look. You got the style. We like you. Why don't you just be an extra? We'll pay you like three or $400 a day to pump a keg full of fake beer and smoke fake weed in the surf shop and dance to TVI with the nuge. And you don't need the Actors Guild for that? No, because I oh. didn't have any speaking lines and I wasn't going to be actually performing athletics. <laughs> I would have said, front me the guild card and then I need 10 grand on top of that and then we good. But I got to meet the Nuge from that. Yeah, he's sick. He's such a rad guy. Yeah. And I got to skate with TA at uh, Pedro. How did you mesh with him? He just showed up. But I saw this. Uh, did he talk to you at all? Or? Yeah, we hung out. Uh-huh. He showed up in an SUV with an Alva sticker on it. And I was like, oh, fuck. This is either going to be rad or it's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Don't meet your heroes. Exactly. That's <laughs> the, the mantra that was playing in my head and I was trying not to think about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm fucking glad I met him because, right. man, we talked and we skated and he was so cool. My Tony Alva experience is a little different. What was that? Somebody actually, McKenny actually hit me up. He's like, you and that Tony Alva got beef? And I was like, no. What happened was we were at the Vans Park Series and Tony was there skating. And I, I'm filming the whole thing. And I come up to him. I was like, hey, cool if I get a photo? Like I asked first. And he's like, no. And he <laughs> drops in. Somehow I think it got word to Naraco. And then Naraco came over and interviewed me and was like, so what's up? I heard Tony frosted you or something. And they made it like kind of a big deal where I think it aired on the TV because they were. And so people start being like, whoa, Smitty and TA have beef. (laughs) So that was a pretty funny one. But I thought, amazingly, I went to Guns N' Roses uh, reunion tour at AT AT&T got the hookup and we had really close seats and fucking Axel came out with an Alva shirt on and everyone was kind of like, not like you said, not knowing how to feel about it. And I was like, fuck, that's rad. It is. Yeah. I mean, how many people are going to be like, what's that all about? And then they're going to look up Alva and be like, holy shit. Yeah. I should buy a shirt. And Axel's notorious for like NWA, all these cool shirts, like throughout his whole career. Yeah. The Charles Manson, right? <laughs> oh, God. How often do you get that? <laughs> Too often, man. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I either get Jesus Christ or Charles Manson. Oh. And when I tell people, well, both ends of the spectrum. Jesus Christ wasn't white. They yeah. get really mad. Oh. And then when I tell people, well, Charles Manson was actually a pretty good singer-songwriter. They get really mad. But he had a tattoo on his forehead. You don't have that. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But I have put that X on my forehead on Halloween because it's just so easy to put on bell bottoms and put an X on your head and go out as Charlie Manson. Uh And like, fine, that's easy, you know. Right. And um, people seem to lose their shit. But I stopped doing that because I realized, you know what? Too many people like Charlie Manson. Fuck that. Halloween's supposed to be scary. This costume's supposed to scare people. Yeah. I don't want people coming up and taking selfies with me. Yeah. I don't like being Charlie Manson. I'm not going to be Charlie Manson anymore. Yeah. The thing about Charles Manson is he died. Yeah. And no city would let them bury him there. Good. Yeah. So I think they had to cremate him and maybe he's in a... I don't know where he is, but I know that the city he's from, the city he was in jail, every city said, nah, 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 we don't want his people coming here. There's a great podcast called You Must Remember This. Uh And they do a Charlie Manson episode that talks about everything orbiting around 
the murder, around his cult. Whoa. And at the end of the day, my big takeaway, that guy was just another kook who wanted to be a rock star. He never killed anyone. Well, no, he actually, I think he, he shot some somebody. Oh, he did? Yeah, it, it goes into that. I'm fascinated. Like, if it's a fucking whatever murder mystery or what are they called? True crime series? Yeah, yeah. Plug me in. I'll binge watch the fuck out of it. The Bundy tapes, oh, yeah. uh, Mind Hunter, uh, all those things. I am fascinated. Listen to this then, because I think it'll dispel the mythology and mystery around the impetus of the Manson family, the Manson motive, and the Manson murder. Uh-huh. He just wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. He wanted to be a famous rock star. That deal fell through. So he was going to go get revenge on the people in the music industry that couldn't make him a big famous rock star and he got the wrong people well Beatles did Helter Skelter yeah that's right (laughs) some people consider that the very first heavy metal song oh really yeah wow and if you think about like the difference between hard rock and heavy metal it's gonna get a little geeky here now I like it my friend Diego and I were talking about how hard rock can be classified as something that's still rooted in the blues sure blue cheer okay heavy metal is still loud and hard and driving but no blues Oh. So, Helter Skelter arguably could be the first heavy metal song because it's a heavy, hard, driving, loud song that doesn't have, it's not rooted in the blues in a very obvious way, like Summertime Blues by Blue Cheer. I was always told that heavy metal started because Black, or, yeah, Black Sabbath guitarist had metal fingers. I've heard that too, because Tony Iommi sliced off his two middle fingers uh-huh. and had to wear like these thimbles. Right. And then those two strings that those fingers touch were thinner. <clears throat> and it made that sound and that was heavy metal. I like that I think everybody better. has a, you know, yeah. Mark Gonzalez versus Nottis. We don't know who did the first handrail really, <laughs> do we? <laughs> Enough with the hard claims. Yeah. You know. But speaking of music, I forgot. There's a great question here. And we, we tie it in with our past guest, Mr. Farmer. Um, he's really adamant about this Aerosmith being the best American band of all time. I heard and, that. And there's, you know, there's some stipulations. It can't be Jimi Hendrix. It can't be Bob Dylan. It has to be a band name. Right. So those people are out. But, you know, uh, I was wondering your take on this. I see. I, I can see why he would say that. Aerosmith are an incredible band, mm-hmm. especially the early stuff. Hell, I'll even play some stuff from Honkin' on Bobo, mm. and that's the worst thing you could ever name an album, Honkin' on Bobo. What the fuck? <laughs> but, you know, those guys were called, like, the American Stones, yeah. a bit hyperbolic. But, you know, um, I, I love Aerosmith, but I, I beg to differ. I think the best American band for me would be a three-way tie between The Birds, Grand Funk Railroad, and MC5. You guys kind of use MC5 as an influence heavy, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've got MC5 tattooed on my arm. Yeah, they're no joke. I love MC5. Sure. Um, but I don't know. I, this whole – and living music and working in music, I've, I've kind of gotten over the whole, like, the best this or the best that. Yeah. I don't know who said, like, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. But that seems to resonate with me a lot more these days. Yeah, that is interesting. Because Toad was all about Van Halen, and then he named his daughter Halen, and then he had a son, and I was like, you named it what? It should have been Van, duh. Oh, my God, that would have been perfect. Yeah, and I think he was on board, but maybe, <laughs> I don't know. All right, let's get to 2019, some serious shit here. Okay. What the fuck is up with San Francisco? 
And what can we do about this? God, I don't know, man. Uh, you know. Do we like these motorized scooters and the <laughs> unicycle guys flying around everywhere? There's motorized skateboards oh. flying up hills going 40 miles an hour. Jesus. But we can't push down the street safely. <laughs> I don't understand it. I would. I'm just going to go on record to say I would rather see motorized scooters than motorized skateboards. Yeah. You know, I think so too. It makes more sense anyway. Yeah. I hate the briefcase helmet and remote control finger guy looking at me while I'm driving my car. Cause I'm like, I just want to say, dude, I, I don't, I need glasses and I can't see that well. And I'm sorry I ran you over. <laughs> like it just wasn't my fault. You know, God damn it. We built the city on rock and roll. Um, and who's the worst though out of all those you got the unawheel guy which yeah. is that guy comes out of our elevator in the morning <laughs> and I haven't even had my coffee yet dude that shit sucks it can ruin your whole day man yeah. <laughs> it, it really can but we got the unawheel guy we got motorized scooter motorized skateboard I think those are top three worst dudes right now and as a skateboarder it's hard not to take this shit personally yeah it just it just is no matter how good you are or like me how bad you are if you belong to skateboarding you know it's it, it's easy to take that shit personally and to think that like, these fuckers are trolling us you know but they're just doing their thing i get it you know not everybody can be tuned in and but it's just it's it's sad it it, it might be a, a straw on the, on the camel's back you know that yeah. It's like, oh, okay, we got rising rents, we got evictions, we got homeless, and we got these guys. I think the challenge now is to like find the 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 cool pockets of San Francisco that still exist and make them your home. It's getting trickier. The mm. avenues seem like they're kind of uh, a little bit of a magnet for that. I one other guy that pisses me off. We're we're getting we're pissed off right now. Sure. But we're we're on coffee and we're happy actually, <laughs> but how about the guy that's like, I want to move to San Francisco. Fuck, the mission's cool. What if I move next door to the makeout room? Okay, I'm going to buy that place. Hey, it's kind of loud. I want the makeout room not to have night shows anymore. Let's put the bottom of the hill out of business. Like, why the fuck did you move into that neighborhood? It's like moving next to a hospital and saying... The sirens are bugging you. I mean, come on. That's the irony. It's this like, is... why did you want to move to San Francisco in the first place? Yeah, you wanted to be cool. You wanted to be cool. You wanted to be around culture. You wanted to be around art. And you wanted to be around music. And now you're taking all of that away from the city. This is our first segment of of this type. I don't usually do this often, but I, <laughs> I think you could appreciate where I'm coming from. Yeah, man. I moved to the city in 94. I've been coming up here all my life. I'm a California boy. I've... Born and raised in, in the Bay Area, and I'm trying to make my peace with it in, in some regards. In other regards, um, you know, maybe it's just time to move on. Yeah. And um, at the same time, I'm reminded of those lyrics in Tom Sawyer by Rush, where he says, he knows changes aren't permanent, but change is. Oh. Change is permanent. And his mind is not for rent. <laughs> no. <laughs> so remember that. <laughs> um, you moved to Oakland, though. Yeah. And that was like, what is that now? Five, six, five years? I think it's been like seven or eight years. Whoa. And now you're heading out to the Falcon land of Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia. Wow. Yeah. That's REM, right? REM, B-52s, Olivia Tremor Control. 
Ooh. Drive-by truckers. Oh, wow. Uh, of Montreal. If you see Michael Stipe, just tell him, <laughs> how, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, my uncle's friend was in R.E.M. as a backup uh, guitarist. Peter Holzapple? No, his name is Scott McCoy. Oh, really? He's in the Young Fresh Fellows. No way. Yeah. That's, oh, wow. Small world. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm going to be back so much nobody's going to recognize or realize that I've I've moved. Yeah, I was going to ask, how's that going to affect the band and, and stuff? Long distance relationship. I'll Are probably you... be back one once every month uh-huh. for at least 2019 and most of 2020. Can we can we look forward to some East Coast tours then? I think so. I'd That'd like to fun. finally do that. We've played Europe and we've never played the East Coast. Really? We played Europe twice, never played uh, the East Coast once. Yeah, like I was telling you, the Skate Rock trip, we flew into Atlanta. The first night was Athens. Then we went to North Carolina, went up the coast, and ended in New York. Yeah. It's a great one. I mean, you hit New York, Philly, Baltimore. There's some epic cities. And what we didn't do, which you could, is keep going into Providence, hit Rhode Island, and, and that little area. I've never even been to that zone, but that's definitely next on my list. But it's a really cool tour. The, oh, yeah, the know. East Coast Circuit is the best. I did yeah. it with Parchman Farm and the fucking Champs back in the early 2000s, and everything's so close to each other. And the pulled pork sandwiches are the best. So what are you going to do? What are your future goals? You're going to stick – you're working for Pandora. Yes, and you're going to transfer out there and continue to work for Pandora. Yeah, we have an office in Atlanta. And um, I'm going to make my new home in Athens. Oh, and, and work um, in Atlanta? Yeah, go back and forth to the Atlanta office. Uh, maybe work from home once or twice a week. Sick. Um, you know, just try that kind of... Maybe this is my version of a midlife crisis. You know, I'll be 50 in a couple of years. I've had five of those so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had a quarter life crisis. <laughs> I mean, just this week. It's been like, fuck. I don't know. I just want to try something new. I want to uproot myself. Dude, more power to you. If you it's, it, feel, it feels like an opportunity. Like, I, I got to try it. Make sure I, that you have a lot of water because you're going to take showers a lot more often there. The humidity will get you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's my, not the heat. It's the humanity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, shit. But Atlanta's kind of like the new Hollywood. They're filming, like, all this stuff down there nowadays. Like, that's where they do it all. Yeah. Um. Well, that's cool. I'm super stoked that uh, we finally – our paths crossed. It's been a minute since I've seen you. And you were one of the first people I thought of when I started on this venture. Uh, people may think differently, but I'm not really comfortable socializing too much. And this is good for that. And then I also get to have an excuse to say, hey, let's spend an hour together and talk. Oh, and not and only that, but it, it kind of uh, extends Epically Trife in a different way. Oh, you know, like listening to your podcast, yeah. it's like I'm getting so nostalgic for Trife Life, which wasn't that far away, but then yeah. it kind of is, you know. Uh-huh. Like, You've I mean, always been so supportive with this that stuff and uh were you at the Trife party? Which one? It was the first anniversary we did at the Parkside and me and Drobel and Preston and I think Becker made a what do you call it? A wheel of of misfortune. <laughs> that sounds familiar. And Damasic and Hightower played? Yeah. I think that was the first time I saw Damasic. Okay. Because yeah. that was, I, I mean, if I'm patting myself on the shoulder ever, I might have to do it there. That party went off and people still talk about it. It was so sick. Damasic came out in a snow. It was snowing. Their flights were delayed. Logan's <laughs> calling me from Boston like, we're going to make it. Don't worry. Like, And I had never even met him yet. 
And then they were just the raddest dudes ever, like bros for life, like instantly. Yeah. I've never really had that before. And I really do mean it with those guys that like, because we had so many friends of friends, I think the comfort zone, but we really were like hugging Wyvis, <laughs> high-fiving Logan, like before we even said hi for the first time, which was really cool. But um, the Wheel of Misfortune, yeah. we put like, Jaeger bomb, <laughs> fucking like just the five shots of stupid or whatever, and then you put five dollars down and spit it, and it would be like, oh no! Oh my god, those days, I just remember like at some, you know, it's a good party when Tracy ends up on the floor, mm. um, usually straddling Katie Knox, yeah, or wrestling Halsey. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is happening. Yeah, this is this is trife they, life. They really loved that fun. <laughs> and Halsey I miss so much because she was my she was basically the one person I could count on that was like hey this band's playing and she was down oh yeah and she actually would say it more times to me than I'd say it to her because she knew more about music which was rad because I got to you know experience some new bands and stuff and then meet people and that was a really special time. Josie was killing it with like black and white photos, really contrasting. One of my favorite photographers, man. She's just yeah. got the eye. Yeah. Just a magic, and magic Rehobo woman. And I and, and, and McGinley and and uh, Becker were in real good pile out form. <laughs> I, I stopped drinking, but I feel like I drank a lot back then. You drank more than most people? Yeah. I mean, I not like, like, like quantity, but. You lived more than what I'm trying to say is you've you lived more than most people. Oh uh, yeah, it was wild. My my current girlfriend, she's just like always, because now I fall asleep at ten. So <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> but uh, enough about that. Um, really good catching up with you, Eric. Likewise. And uh, I just want to say, you're all right. <laughs> Thank you, Schmitty. Cheers.
Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please subscribe now on Anchor, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this show, one of the best ways to show some love is to write up a review. I always appreciate to hear your thoughts and detailed reviews are the best way for people to discover us. Also, a big shout out to our executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout out. Love it!